Welcome to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. What do Procter & Gamble, Borden's, Brooks Brothers, Tiffany, Squibb, DuPont, and other famous American companies have in common, other than that they are all suffering in the economic collapse of the autumn of 2008? They were all active in the Civil War. We'll learn today about the intersection of business and military history with James Schmidt, author of Lincoln's Labels, America's Best-Known Brands and the Civil War. Join us for a conversation with James Schmidt and me, Jerry Prokopovich, on Civil War Talk Radio. Answer the president's call to service. As an AmeriCorps member, I know that Americans everywhere are helping each other, showing strength of character. As a senior corps volunteer, I know that Americans are showing kindness and compassion. As an AmeriCorps member, I see plenty of American spirit and enthusiasm. Together, we make America strong. Together, we make America great. Find out how you can serve at nationalservice.org. It's your world. It's your chance to make it better. Apply online at nationalservice.org. The world is talking. World Talk Radio. Studio A. Welcome to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, coming to you this week from East Carolina University in Greenville, North Carolina, in the Brewster Building, where the History Department, or most of it, hangs out. But speaking for myself, not for anyone else, not for the university, nor do they speak for me. Greenville is a popular place this election season. We had a visit from the Democratic candidate Barack Obama in April. This coming week, the Republican vice presidential candidate Sarah Palin is coming to visit. Uh, so there's lots going on here in Greenville, a speck on the map that suddenly is part of a battleground state. So lots happening here. But here at Civil War Talk Radio, we are focusing on the 1860s, looking at the past, uh, looking ahead into the past. We'll have some very interesting guests in the weeks ahead. Ed Ayers will be here, the president of the University of Richmond and author of some very interesting books. We'll have a biography of uh, Ed Johnson. We'll have some uh, other topics, uh, miscellaneous interesting things. And... Uh, we will not, however, have a show next week on Friday, October 10th, for uh, your planning purposes. There will be no new show. I will be that weekend in Knox College in Galesburg, Illinois, at the annual Lincoln Colloquium, and uh, carrying on the, the trailing end of the Did Lincoln Own Slaves world tour. Come and get a copy of the book. Talk to me about it. Tell me what you think of it. Suggest some guests for Civil War Talk Radio, if you wish. And I will also be in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, on November 18th, uh, speaking at the annual Lincoln Forum, so another place where you can hear about uh, Lincoln and questions and answers on that interesting subject and uh, ask me your own questions and uh, uh, perhaps get a book and tell, tell me what you think. 
In the meantime, if you want to support the acquisition of books here, if you want me to buy more copies of Lincoln Owned Slaves for myself, for example, feel free to donate to the show at CivilWarTR, all one word, CivilWarTR, at AOL.com. That's the PayPal address for Civil War Talk Radio. It's not tax deductible. I can use it to give it to the candidate of my choice if I want to. I can do anything with it. It's great. Well, enough of that. We'll move on. To today's subject, uh, our guest is James M. Schmidt, uh, author of Lincoln's Labels, America's Best-Known Brands and the Civil War. And Mr. Schmidt, are you there? I'm here, Jerry. Thank you very much for having me. Wonderful. Glad you could be here. Um, I'm trying to recall how this book came across my desk. I'm guessing your publisher uh, sent a copy. Is that right? It, it uh, might have been, or it may have even been, been me in an act of shameless self-promotion. But um, either well, way, I'm I'm very pleased. And, and please call me Jim. Oh, thank you. I will certainly do it. Uh, well, Jim, there's no other kind of self-promotion than shameless. I've, <laughs> I've concluded. I'm I've indulged in it weekly here, uh, reminding people to go out and get multiple copies of Did Lincoln Own Slaves? To use as gifts or doorstops or whatever. Uh, so I'm I'm sympathetic with that, and it is the way to get ahead. Sometimes people ask, how do I get on the show? Uh, and I will reply by email, or I'll tell anyone listening right now. Uh, the best way is if you've written something or done something uh, Civil War-related that, that you think the listeners would want to hear about, send me a copy uh, so I can check it out. And uh, I've received some things that I've put in the uh, never-to-be-looked-at pile. Abraham Lincoln once wrote on a piece of mail, uh, profoundly laid by, <laughs> he put it to the side, um, I have profoundly laid by some of the books I've gotten here. But more often than not, as with this one, it's a subject I would never have really thought about myself, never would have gone looking for. But when I got it, it was interesting and worth knowing about. So uh, uh, we'll get to that. But uh, from your biography, I understand in the daytime you are a, uh, a chemist, a bioanalytical chemist. What does a bioanalytical chemist do? Well, I'm, I actually do experimental science and analytical chemistry, but a bioanalytical chemist analyzes um, samples from in-life experiments. And, and my primary duty here at the, the company I work at is to, on my day-to-day -day basis, look at how quickly drugs uh, break down in the body and maybe even find out what they break into. And so, you know, that's what I do, do as a day job. So how does that connect with uh, your Civil War interest? Uh, what, which came, did you play with the chemistry set or the Marx Blue and Gray Soldiers when you the, were a kid? The chemistry set first. Um, and actually, the, the Civil War interest, although I, even as a kid I'd always been very interested in history, especially genealogy. My, my own family history is very interesting, and I think that, that inspired me. But I had pretty much laid you know, any reading or or. or pilgrimages or anything like that aside, but it was a business trip about 15 years ago to Richmond when I actually got there a few days early and had some extra time and took the advantage to go uh, to some of the battlefields there almost on a lark and met uh, an MPS uh, ranger who took me around Cold Harbor and and I was, was hooked since then. So that was my initial, you know, reintroduction to American history and then the writing and the, the real interest in it was actually born out of my day job because I became more interested in some of the scientific 
and technical aspects of the American Civil War, uh, which led to um, learning more about some of these companies, uh, broadening my interest also to medicine and writing on medicine in the Civil War. So really it was a combination of the two. Well, let's... Uh, let me interject a, a, a note before asking you about that, which is I uh, recall talking to a park ranger at Gettysburg when I was, uh, I think, in sixth grade, a uh, long time ago. But his personal interest uh, in me and uh, in, in in my validating my interest in the Civil War uh, really was a life-changing experience. And the, the, the park rangers, I cannot say enough good things about the work they do at the National Park uh, locations. I am hoping to have uh, John Latchar, the uh, superintendent at Gettysburg, on the show. Uh, he was to be on later in October, but there's a schedule change, and I, I'm still trying to persuade him to find room in the schedule to make that up. So if any listeners are visiting Gettysburg, uh, leave a note on the superintendent's door to uh, tell him to get back with me and uh, get on this show, because his people are the reason why a lot of us are listening, uh, or, or his people in his, his organization, like the, the ones you met, Jim, in Richmond. Sure, and, and just to add to that, I, it had already been 15 years, but in the past couple of months with the book coming out and everything, I was able to find that ranger, um, Eddie Sanders, who still is associated with the uh, Richmond National Battlefield Parks, and tell him, you know, very happily, the, the inspiration that he gave me, and certainly 15 years ago, you know, it was enough for me to go to the bookstore and, you know, and buy a new book. And now I'm writing one. It really, you know, I was really happy to be able to touch bases with him again. Uh, that, I'm, I'm delighted to hear that. That is what uh, people in any form of education, uh, at any level, uh, you know, we're not in it for the money, obviously. But when a former student or a former uh, museum guest or a battlefield visitor comes back and tells you what a what an impact you had, That's, uh, that does make it worthwhile. Well, you said, um, you mentioned medicine, and I want to talk about that. You, you have written uh, for the magazine North and South, which uh, I'm sure all our listeners know, Keith Poulter, the editor, has been on the show. Uh, Al Nofi has been on the show, who, who edited the, uh, the knapsack column, the uh, column that told little interesting bits and pieces. And uh, I understand you wrote for that column uh, initially. Is that correct? That's right. It's actually many of the the longer chapters in this Lincoln's Labels book actually started as very short articles um, in Al's knapsack section, and Al was very kind enough to write the foreword for the book as well. So four or five of the companies um, appeared as very short, 900, 1,000-word articles um, in the knapsack section. I actually had one about not in the book, but... Um, I still think a very interesting story about Milton Bradley appears in the latest issue of North and South. What? Um, I'm sorry, that one's not in the book. Tell, uh, what does Milton Bradley have to do with the Civil War? Well, Milton Bradley, uh, the game maker, played a really interesting and important part in the Civil War. He um, started out as a draftsman and a patent agent, uh, turned to the printmaking trade as it became popular, and one of his very first prints that he that he printed off was a lithograph of the beardless Abraham Lincoln after a photograph taken um, by one of the, the folks at the Springfield, Massachusetts newspaper, and he printed thousands of copies of it. Well, of course, Abraham Lincoln took the advice of an 11-year-old girl and, and grew a beard, so Don Milton Bradley was left with thousands of copies of a print of a beardless Lincoln, 
and really not able to sell them. So he turned his his printing press to printing games instead. He had had invented a little game called what he called the checkered game of life, and he printed copies of that and went to New York to sell them door to door. And then turned out it was very popular. He sold forty thousand copies in the first year alone, and that's how he turned from a printmaker into a game maker. During the Civil War, he sold a little kit of seven games, some of them standard chess or checkers, dominoes, but also the checkered game of life, um, which he called Games for Soldiers, advertised it widely, said he'd sell, uh, send it anywhere for only a dollar, um, advertised just like they do now in the, the newspapers at Christmas time, said it was just a thing to send to the boys in camp or the hospital. Um, and so, you know, he played a very interesting part. He also actually intended to volunteer. He's still a rather young man, intended to volunteer for the Army, but the uh, superintendent at the Springfield Armory, knowing his talents as a draftsman, persuaded him to uh, to do work at the arsenal instead, making drawings. So, um, of course, you know, a century later, on the centennial of the Milton Bradley Company, uh, they hired a game maker who started hunting through the archives, came across a checkered game of life, and then reintroduced it, what we know now, as the game of life. So, you know, a very interesting story. Um, all of us have played Battleship or the Game of Life. We all know who Milton Bradley is or know the name, but I would wager that few of us know, you know, kind of an interesting role he played in the American Civil War. No, I, I, that, that is interesting. The uh, the Game of Life is, uh, uh, as simulations go, is not perhaps the best, uh, uh, if you look at it as that kind of game, but it's... Uh, I've played it with my daughters more than once and uh, tried to acquire the the uh, competing cards of happiness or money. And, sure. Uh, it does uh, It does actually give you something to talk about with the kids. Uh, yeah, and it's, it's of course, the game of life, as it was reintroduced, is very different from the the Victorian-era game that, that Bradley produced. It was very concentrated on um, virtue and morals, so... Um, you know, they didn't even have dice packaged with the game. They used a little teetotum instead because dice was mostly associated with gambling and, and vice, so they even had to uh, twist that a little bit. So it was, a, it was definitely a different game, but it has its legacy um, in the reintroduced game that we've all all played. And did uh, Milton Bradley have uh, produced the Stereopticon also? He did. He produced something called uh, a Myrioptican, um, which is also a very interesting story. It was what he did was take Harper's Weekly engravings, hand colored them or colored them on the press, put them on a roller, um, included some tickets and you know a little narrative for a kid could put on a show at home, twisting the uh, the rollers and letting scenes of the war pass through and and put on a nice show for the family. And it was actually very popular. Also, I remember uh, the museum I worked in the Lincoln the late lamented Lincoln Museum of Fort Wayne, Indiana. Uh, I remember purchasing for that museum a stereo, or a Myrioptican, sure. rather, uh, which we had on, on exhibit there. And as you say, it was like a tiny stage with uh, the, 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 scrolled, uh, the, the scrolls containing all the pictures that rolled from one side to the other, and you could entertain your friends and uh, show them scenes from the war. Very interesting piece. Yeah, and as a matter of fact, it's, it's obviously too long of a, an address to, to spit out on the on the phone, but if people do look at that North and South article, at the very end of the article is a link to a website at the University of Virginia that has kind of an interactive Myrioptican. So they've made it to where you can press a play button and the uh, the scenes from the Myrioptican that's in their collection play through. So 
if anybody wants to see it, that's an excellent an excellent way to do that. Well, I'm guessing if you just uh, put the word Myrioptikine in your search engine, sure, it'll, it'll, it'll probably it'll end up, up in the right place. That's right. Well, well, now that one that the Milton Bradley story you say is not in the book, but many other companies, uh, well-known ones, are uh, Procter and Gamble, for example. Uh, the legend that the Procter and Gamble moon and stars symbol has some some occult background uh, does not appear in your book. Uh, Apparently, that's not the case. Uh, it was simply a symbol. Uh, but these were two real people, Procter and Gamble. Uh, and it, it, well, tell us how they it interacted with the war. Sure. Well, actually, you know, their their founding story is kind of interesting. They arrived in America separately from England, England and, and Ireland. Um, ended up marrying sisters. Um, had competing businesses, but their father-in-law noticed that they use some of the same raw materials and encourage them to go into business together. So uh, James Gamble and William Proctor uh, formed a business in 1837 and called it the Proctor and Gamble Company. They were soap makers and candle makers. When the uh, the, the war came, they uh, secured contracts for, for soap and candles, um, were able to increase the capacity of their factory, um, branded, uh, actually, the, the boxes that they sent out with um, you know, with the Procter and Gamble as it was then, a, a trademark as such, and became one of the most widely known firms in the North uh, through that kind of airsats advertising that they did. Um, another interesting thing about Procter and Gamble and about some of these businesses in general, and, and the connection with kind of a wider sense of history, is how they kind of co-opt Cincinnati's own Civil War history. And, and kind of make it their own, and I think that's probably true for for other companies as well. They they recognize you know the part that they played in the Civil War, and if it hadn't been as important as it was, Cincinnati's own part in the Civil War kind of becomes for for their purposes part of the Procter and Gamble story. So uh, when you're reading about Procter and Gamble, you're also going to read a lot about Cincinnati and the American Civil War. Where do you find information on companies like this? Do, do do most of these companies have their own archives? Some of them do, and some of them don't. Procter & Gamble is an example. American Express, Wells Fargo, especially DuPont, um, Tiffany's are all companies that make archives part of their business. They have professional historians or, or archivists that are stewards of their collection that can be between 150 or DuPont, more than 200 years old now. And the corporate archivists proved to be um, very cooperative, very enthusiastic, um, and kind of a first stop for me when I started researching a, a company. After the archivists, um, you know, there's always going to be some commemorative company histories that are published. Um, as old as these companies are, some of the 50-year, even centennial histories are, are rather old and rare rare volumes. I use those with some caution, uh, since they're almost always commemorative. Mm. Um, you know, you have to, to be careful, but as far as general outlines of company history, they prove very helpful. And then well, after that, um, uh, newspapers, period newspapers, looking for advertisements, looking for mentions of the company, official records. You know, I'm not saying I'm the only one, but I'm probably one of the few people that's typed in Tiffany and Company into an official record search instead of Grant or Lee. And, and came up with several interesting hits. Um, so a, a wide variety of resources, some period, um, a lot of cooperation from the corporate archivists, and then just some other general um, secondary sources. 
Well, we'll so it's very interesting where this comes from. We'll talk more about some of the specific companies and some other uh, unknown aspects of the Civil War with our guest, Jim Schmidt, author of Lincoln's Labels. We'll talk more with him in a minute on Civil War Talk Radio.